0: your favorite
1: pga and lpga legends pros and top instructors are right here every week on next on the t join chris as the greats of the game share their stories insights and playing lessons now back to chris and more of the show
2: all right now back with me here on next on the t is tony jacklin let me remind you about mr jacklin's background he turned pro at the age of 17 back in 1962. In 1968, he became the first European player to win on the PGA Tour since the 1920s at the uh, Jacksonville Open Invitational. A year later, he won his first major at the Open Championship at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. In 1970, he won the U.S. Open at Hazeltine, becoming the first British player to win the U.S. Open since Ted Ray in 1920. In 1985, he captured, uh, captained I should say, the European team to a Ryder Cup victory, which marked the first loss by the U.S. team since 1957. Backed that up with a second consecutive Ryder Cup win in 1987, marking the first ever U.S. loss on American soil. He would go on to make it a three-peat for Europe in 1989. 2002, he was elected into the World Golf Hall of Fame. 2006, he and Jack Nicklaus opened the Concession Club in Bradenton, Florida commemorating the putt conceded by Mr. Nicholas to Mr. Jacklin, which ensured the 1969 Ryder Cup competition would end in a draw. In all, Mr. Jacklin has won eight times on the European Tour, four times on the PGA Tour, and, twi- and twice on the Senior Tour. He has a wonderful new book that is hitting stores today titled Bad Lies, A Story of Libel, Slander, and Professional Golf, which he wrote alongside Shelby Astro. and I'm honored that he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Jacklin. Thank you for coming back on the show
1: no, it's my pleasure chris thank you
2: so mr jackal let's start out by talking about your new book which is a uh, fictional account of a guy named eddie benison who is having a lot of success out on the champions tour until a golf magazine article accuses him of cheating and doping so i'm curious what inspired you to write a book like that
1: well it, it wasn't It was a chance meeting actually With uh, my co-author Shelby At the Ryder Cup uh, At Hazeltine We we hit it off together And he'd already written a couple of uh, uh, Novels And uh, uh, He told me that he was Working on this book about golf He's an avid golfer He's crazy for the game And uh, uh, He gave me the outline of the book We, 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 We went Beyond that, I started collaborating with him. And, uh, you know, I was intrigued by the whole uh, the, the story, the way it was all done. The golf aspect was, uh, I mean, he's, Shelby's just an unbelievable, uh, avid amateur. And I think I was able to bring some perspective of the professional game into it for him. Uh, it's a fascinating read. It's a, It's a terrific read. And, uh, you know, here we go, you know, 18 months or almost two years later, uh, we're launching it, and uh, it's a very exciting time for both of us.
2: And, Mr. Jacqueline, you even weave, you guys weave into the story a woman accusing Denison, the main character, right, of physical abuse. So this is kind of a, a complete destruction of the man's character. Talk about that and, you know, bringing all of that together. Um, in, into a kind of a, a world about, you know, First Amendment rights, free speech, and how it's both a sword and a shield.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was uh, it was Charlie Mayfair, the lawyer. Uh, uh, the defense's uh, job to keep that story out of the courtroom. Um, it goes back and forth. The characters are in this thing. Uh, so strong um, and that, that in fact the first time i read it uh and I, I said to my wife you know this is this is got uh, this is a move, this is movie stuff and uh, i mean obviously benison was devastated when these uh, stories came out And golf confidence of a golfer in the very fine line you, you you have to straddle to be a great player. His confidence was wrecked after these articles were written about him. Uh, the whole courtroom thing and back and forth between the courtroom and golf uh, is it's just a fascinating read altogether. altogether. And just
2: a, a couple more on the book. And, it, and like I say, it's, it's, it's a bit about, at least it comes across to me as a, about first amendment rights. But it also sort of seems to me like it is a commentary a bit about, you know, our media and then sort of a statement on society and and what it's like out there for, you know, the the professional athletes today. Is is all of that really the the story about, you know, the underlying story of the story?
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I remember in my early days when when I was in my pomp, you know, the British press were a tough bunch and... uh, you, you, you get a lot of stuff written about you from time to time That's just not uh, uh, Exactly true uh, You know, sometimes they They make stuff up And uh, this is This is uh, that This is why I was drawn into this uh, I, In many ways You know, I left Britain uh, As a young man because I I hated what was happening through the media To me, you know, I mean, they would take there were different opinions from different uh, fronts, uh, and they didn't always know what they were talking about. And, and it's not the right place; it's not where you want to be. Uh, so I've, I've been living outside, outside of Britain for quite some many years now, in part because of that. And uh, when I when I read about Benison's predicament, as it were, uh, I became uh, you know it, I couldn't help but uh, sympathize and uh anyway you, you you read it it's it's a terrific uh, it's a terrific story um and uh you know as i say that self-confidence that he had winning the tournaments he won was obviously dented by these uh, malicious uh articles that were written and uh, uh and there's great stuff in there with caddies and, old stuff that i contributed uh from days past and you know great players involved in it all it's uh, it was fun a lot of fun
2: Mr. Jacqueline, it would seem to me, you know, looking back over the breadth of your career, right, and, and some of the things you just mentioned, you know, the things that that happened to you or were said about you and, and those sorts of things, did, did, do you remember, was there a point in time, and I've wondered about this in, in lots of different aspects, not only on this show and other shows that I do, but the media changed at some point in time from uh, d- delivering the news and reporting on the news to reporting on sensationalism and, and what could, you know, get more headlines or get somebody to, you know, now in today's society, right, get more clicks on the Internet and that sort of thing. Do, do you remember, was there a point in time that you saw that things sort of flip from being about the news to being about sensationalism?
1: Oh, absolutely, I remember. But, I mean, I think in I think Britain uh, back in the 60s, was ahead of America in the sensationalism And, uh, you know, in in my sport I was sort of central to that And a lot of it was very hurtful And, uh, you know, I was, I was quite sensitive Emotional, if you like um, You know, we're not machines And uh, you can't help but read the press And when, when you're reading stuff That's basically made up it, 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 it It's hurtful And, you uh, know uh, it's, it's all changed I, I actually found that the American press Were a lot more straightforward and, uh, Than than the Brits were Back then I'm going back 40, 50 years But uh, you know Everything changes And uh, certainly this social media And uh, sensationalism That exists today I mean you know look at our president He has to uh, he, he's, he's the brunt of most of it And uh you know I, he's got to be very thick skinned on that basis, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a very typical topical story right now. I mean, it's
2: so are you you mentioned this is sort of the stuff of movies. Is that where you'd like to see this ultimately go? Can you see a movie project coming out of this book?
1: well, uh that was the first thing I saw the the characters in it are so strong. Uh, that um, it just jumped out at me. Uh, now whether whether that happens or not, uh, we'll see. But uh, 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 Mayfield, the lawyer, is is such a strong character. He's actually the main character. It's not Eddie Bennison. It's his, it's his defender in court that is the true character in this story. And uh, you know how the, the things he has to deal with, and, and we. Uh, Jack Jack Nicholas was kind enough to uh, do a little uh, bleep for us, and uh, you know it, it says you know it's a bit like around the golf, and I never realised it at the time. But uh, you know around the golf is all about the bounces and how quickly you you can recover from the bad bounces, if you like, and in a courtroom it's it's very much the same. For, the, for that legal man, uh, you never know what a witness is going to say, and how quickly can you recover? Um, you know, a slipped word or a slip statement. It's uh, it was it's all fascinating and a wonderful experience. I didn't think at this time in my life I was going to have so much fun doing anything. Honestly, it was uh, it's a great great privilege to be involved in it.
2: So do you see yourself getting involved in more fictional stories kind of like this?
1: Well, uh, you know, I would I would never say never. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this exercise and working with Shelby, who, you know, his background is, is the uh, top legal counsel for McDonald's. Uh, he's to hear some of his stories uh, of the old days in Chicago, uh, it's it's all been fascinating and our wives gelled uh wonderfully. We've we've had some wonderful times over this. It's been fun more than anything and if we succeed with it well that that's uh that's a bonus.
2: Mr Jacqueline, I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about your career before we let you go and and um, everyone seems to always like to talk about the putt on the last hole of the 69 Ryder Cup that Mr. Nicholas conceded to you. But I, I want to go one hole back. Because on 17, you made a 50-foot eagle putt to keep that match going. What was it like to yeah. make a putt of that nature, you know, when you had to have it in, in a pressure situation like that?
1: Well, I can only tell you, you know, I was 25 years old. And as a 25-year-old, you think all things are possible. You think you're immortal, I suppose. And I had all the confidence in the world. We we played 18 holes in the morning, and I I, I, I beat Jack 4 and 3 in the morning. I was was on top of my game. I was pretty confident. I lost the 16th hole. We were all all square after 15, and I lost the 16th. I made bogey there, and Jack made pass. But to hold that putt on the 17 from 50 feet, and he was inside me for, the, for his eagle, uh, you know that was a real uh, hammer blow to him. Uh, it, it was a sensational week, you know. Obviously, we, as a team, uh, Great Britain and Ireland in those days, it was it was before the Europe Europe got involved. Uh, it was the first time we would really done anything in, in, in Ryder Cup for, uh, well, since, since 57. So it was, uh, it was an important time. And, uh, for that one to go in was, I'm not saying it was a fluke because I was aiming for the hole and I was trying to make the putt, but for it to happen to go in at that, uh, moment in time was, a, a extra special. And of course, Jack ultimately conceding the two footer was, uh, I, I mean, I was ready to make it, uh, But, you know, the fact that he picked uh, my marker up and conceded was a a great gesture of sportsmanship and uh, an immense relief to me at the time that I didn't have to do it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Ryder Cups that that you captained. And and prior to 1985, whether it was Great Britain or the European team hadn't won a Ryder Cup since 1929 – and here you are leading a team and and you had to like the Seve and Nick Faldo, Ian Woosnam, Bernard Langer, Sam Torrance, Sandy Lott. You had a great team. What was it like getting those guys to believe something that hadn't been done for nearly 60 years that this team could come together and do it?
1: Well, it was, it was a special time and timing. I think, you know, when you look back, especially in sports, just timing is everything. Uh, when I was asked to do it in 83, the circumstances weren't ideal. Uh, I only had six months to prepare to be uh, the, the, the team. I hadn't got any captain's picks. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I had to get things together in very short order. But I, I recognised that really we were being treated like second-class citizens by our own PGA. And and I requested that everything be upgraded. You know, we, at least when you stood on the first team, we needed to be even-steven with our our American uh, counterparts. They were flying Concorde. We were flying British Airways in economy, not knowing what we were paying for or what anybody was going to give. We'd wear anything anybody gave us clothing-wise. And I upgraded everything. We got a team room. I organized that because we were having meetings in the corner of locker rooms. Uh, you know, it just, it, none of it was ideal. And our self-esteem suffered greatly. Uh, and I played seven matches myself over a 14-year period before I became captain. Uh, and, and, you know, I just knew the way things were done in America and the, Anyway, once we sorted that out, the players really just were fantastic. They delivered, and and it was a golden time for European golf. We had, as you mentioned, we had the Langers and Woosnams and Faldos. Seve was already established. Sandy Lyle came into the picture, a and, uh, you know, they all rallied and, and, and rose to the occasion. Once the confidence was there... And their self-esteem was restored. They delivered like the champions they were, and uh, and the Ryder Cup's been a, a, an enormous uh, success ever since. We all look forward to it, and of course, the Ryder Cup, without that success, the Presidents Cup wouldn't be there. the The people, the guys from Australia and South Africa, wanted to a part of that. They saw the camaraderie, and you know. Team spirit—that was all going on—and the the gals also got involved in '93 with the Solheim Cup, and and all these events now, these team events have become uh, sensational. The public love them, uh, and, and and the players also love them. And it's a it's a solitary pursuit for the most part, golf, and to get in that team uh, environment uh, as as we do in Ryder Cup and. It's it's so special and the memories uh, are forever. So uh, it was it was a, a great experience. I wouldn't change anything about my major wins. I wouldn't give them up for the world. But my Ryder Cup experiences were extraordinary, and uh, I'll take them to the grave.
2: Yeah, just a little bit more on that because that was you know my next question. And, and you know how how did the feeling of that team success? And, again, all those years of drought for for the European team. And to get that win, how did that compare with the feelings that, you know, individually winning the two majors?
1: Well, it was different. It was a different time in my life. I couldn't have captained a Ryder Cup when I won my majors at 25. I hadn't got the maturity or experience. But uh, it, it's hard to put words to it, uh, the satisfaction. You know, you're, you're trying to cut uh, – Uh, You're looking at body language of players the whole time. You're you're trying to be their best friend and wrapping in cotton wool (laughs) the whole week. Uh, It it, it was exhausting, uh, uh, you know, to do it. But the satisfaction at the end of it and, as I say, that sort of sense of team and you're leaning on guys and having one-on-one conversations that will always be private, you know, just to motivate them. Uh, and to see it all come to fruition with the, with victory is, is 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 hard to put words to. Uh, suffice to say, uh, you know, there's a very special bond bonding uh, between the players and and the rest of the team. It was uh, it, you know, I've had 33 years now. I think it is to to think about it all. It's uh, it was a great experience and something that I cherish, and, and those relationships will go on forever.
2: Mr. Jacqueline, one more before we let you go. And, and I saw an interview that you did several years ago regarding your Open Championship victory in 1969. And in the interview, you said your overall thought process for the tournament was, was to stay close, stay in the hunt, and you never know, it might just be your day. What did you tell yourself? the night before as you're you know, trying to sleep on a two-stroke lead heading into the final round and guys chasing you like, you know, like Mr. Nicholas, Peter Thompson, R- Roberto Di Vincenzo, Bob Charles, all right there behind you. What did you tell yourself and, and, and were you able to get much sleep?
1: Well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, I was, we rented a house, Bert Yancey and Tom Weisskopf and our respective wives all stayed together that week. And I took a sleeping pill at about nine, nine thirty, and it was actually Bert Yancey guided me upstairs and put me into bed, and I had eight hours solid sleep. So you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to explain, uh, you know, uh, the mental state. I knew, I knew I needed that sleep. I couldn't have, uh, I, I, I couldn't have done without that. I woke up refreshed early the next morning. And then, of course, you've got this sort of dilemma of waiting half a day before you tee off. I think the tee off time was about 2.30. And uh, all the nerves and trying not to go uh, to the golf course and, uh, or keep your mind away from what may happen. I think I was at a museum or something on the, in the morning uh, trying to keep my mind away from what could happen that afternoon because it's an enormous uh, thing. And the more you want something, of course, the the more likely you are to get ahead of yourself. That's just human nature. But the fact that I was able to deal with it uh, was down to, you know, I'd I'd had a couple of years by then playing the American tour. I'd I'd had my win at Jacksonville in 68. Uh, I knew I was a, a good player. And, and I wanted to be as good as I could be. And uh, as I said earlier, I was young, I was resilient, I was, uh, you know, I, w- I was ready, and the time was right. And uh, I managed to, uh, to, to 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 get it done. But it, uh, I could never underestimate the hurdle. It was uh, it was uh, it's a tall order. Winning majors, of course, and I knew winning majors was all it was ever about, really. Uh, if you want to be remembered. So uh, I've been been very fortunate in my life to uh, have uh, won a couple. Of course, I I went close a couple of times too, but we won't go there. Suffice to say, I I was gratified and uh, it was an amazing time in my life, especially being so young.
2: Again, the title of Mr. Jacqueline's new book is called Bad Lies, A Story of Libel, Slander, and Professional Golf. It uh, was released today. It's available out on Amazon.com. Mr. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being generous with your time and coming back and uh, being a part of the show tonight. You're fantastic. I've always enjoyed the time I've gotten to spend with you. So I thank you for doing it again tonight, and I hope we get the privilege of doing it again real soon.
1: Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. God bless you.
2: All right, take care, Mr. Jacklin. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. That is, again, the great uh, Tony Jacklin. And again, one more time, the name of the book, Bad Lies, A Story of Libel, Slander, and Professional Golf. Again, it's available today out on Amazon.com.
0: Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team, build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding –